everyone. Welcome to the National Library of Australia. I'm Stuart Baines, the Library's Assistant Director of Community Outreach. As we begin, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of this land. I thank their elders, past and present, for caring for this land we are now privileged to call home. This weekend is the fifth and final of our Experience China weekends, through which we're exploring Chinese culture, cuisine, art, landscape and architecture, and the Chinese diaspora as part of our public programs for the Celestial Empire Life in China, 1644 to 1911. Celestial Empire and its public programs would not be possible without the support of a tremendous group of partners. It's been extraordinary collaboration between government and commercial partners, and as well as individual donors. First and foremost, I thank the National Library of China for sharing its extraordinary collection with us, and with all of you, of course. I hope you'll take the opportunity to visit the exhibition later on after, the, after today's event. I thank our partners, Shell in Australia, Seven Network, Wanda One, Optus Singtel, Huawei, Cathay Pacific, TFE Hotels, and event partners, the ANU Centre for China in the World and Asia Society Australia, for their generosity. I thank our government partners, the Australian Government for support through the National Collecting Institution's Touring Outreach Program, it's quite a mouthful, and the Australian China Council and the ACT Government through Visit Canberra. Thank you, of course, as well for coming today to hear Dr Zenny Edwards explore Chinese influence in Australian architecture. Zenny is consulting architectural historian, author, biographer and curator. She is also currently director of the United Nations Association of Australian Peace Program, working not only to further the significance of the UN International Day of Peace, but to enable peace to become an intrinsic part of our everyday life. Zenny's history places her in the perfect position for today's discussion. In 2000, she spent a great deal of time here with the Wilson Collection. The result of this perusal was comprehensive account of the life of Hardy Wilson, entitled William Hardy Wilson, Artist, Architect, Orient Orientalist, Visionary, a copy of which we, of course, hold in the National Library's collections. Hardy Wilson is best known for his wonderful drawings of Australian colonial architecture and for his increasingly visionary statements about the future of humanity towards the end of his life. He discerned a Chinese influence in this, the circular forms and strongly uh, horizontal lines of many colonial buildings, and it became his mission to create an architecture synthesis between East and West. The library holds in its collection over 250 of his paintings and drawings, both of China and of colonial Australia some of which you can currently see on display in the Treasures Gallery downstairs, which I also encourage you to go down and see. Despite opposition from the Treasurer at the time, our collection of Hardy Wilson's drawings of old colonial architecture was purchased by the Australian Government for the Library in 1926. In 1935, Wilson himself donated 50 drawings of Greek and Chinese architecture. In 1942, he donated some furniture designs, and from 1951 to 1954, he presented the Library with his Karajong drawings, in 2007, his granddaughter, Margaret McCready, further donated a substantial Wilson collection, which included paintings, drawings, photographs, manuscripts, and personal papers. We'll have time for questions at the end of our sessions today, so please hold any queries until that time. For now, please welcome Dr. Zinni Edwards. Thank you, Stuart. Thank you, everybody, for coming today. Um, there are quite a few familiar faces here, which is really, really good. And thank you for the National Library for inviting me. And I also recognize the traditional owners of this land where we are meeting today. 
Now, I was thinking about the way I should present this, so I'm going to speak very little and show you a lot. Uh, and I think that's the best way to sort of go and do this. So if you can dim the lights, maybe that might be a bit uh, better. I've titled my talk, Vision Splendid, China in Australia. Uh, I debated about this. I thought maybe I should call it Imagined Landscapes, and it will be very clear later on when you um, see the visuals. But first of all, I'd like to do the images acknowledgement. The National Library, Heidi Wilson family, Harold Tasnow, and Errol Dean. Um, I did this generally because I actually acknowledged the Heidi Wilson family, but they've since lodged the material with you. So there's a bit of a, I didn't really know whether to acknowledge you or the Heidi Wilson, but anyway, I've acknowledged everybody, so that's the way uh, best to portray it. What is that thing going on? This is the man we're going to talk about. And Gail will know that this is a Casno photograph. He's a very tall man, six foot six, which is very unusual for someone. And this was his uh, standard attire, bow tie, light suit. Um, he, called, he, he described his face as long, um, and I think that shows here. So he was a very formal person. He was born in Campbelltown, and his parents were William Joshua Wilson, from whom he said he inherited the love of the works of man, and from his mother, Jessie Elizabeth Shepherd, he inherited the love of nature. He moved to Burwood, where he studied at Newington, and he excelled at cricket and rugby. He was terrible at maths, and his record of 16 over 100 was, I think, in maths uh, final exams, was a record never to be broken. He wanted to go and become a farmer, but the headmaster said he should be an architect, so he did become an architect. He articled with uh, Kent and Budden, and he finished that in five years, and instead of practicing, he went, what, he went away. Uh, every architect does that or did that. He went on a grand tour, and he left for England in 1905. So this is where it becomes quite interesting. I have to put my glasses on. In a grand tour... He became a member of the Chelsea Arts Club. And because he only had 100 pounds traveling money, he had to go and uh, furnish his apartment with uh, bits and pieces that he bought at the Caledonian cattle market at Islington, where second-hand dealers sold splendid old furniture for shillings, lovely textiles, old pans, and countless Chinese ornaments, including booty from the Boxer Rebellion, which I think was illegal to sell at that time or this time, artifacts dug up from excavations of railway tracks being laid across the country and also the subsequent occupation of Beijing by the Allies. I'm quoting him on this one. So this is an example of the cattle markets at Islington. As you can see, 
quite a busy place, isn't it? And there's another one. And this one is very interesting because this is a book store. But you can see the pages in the book strewn all over the ground. And I'm sure Stuart will be appalled by the, by the manner in which they were just dumping everything on the ground and selling. So this is the market where Hardy Wilson bought his goods. He went to Assisi in, in Church of St. Francis, St. Francis, and he looked, at the, he looked at the decorations of Giotto. And this is where it starts getting a bit strange. Hardy Wilson said, he took a nap under an ilex tree and dreamt of St. Francis leading a procession of a hundred or more Chinese gentlemen resplendent in their long silky gowns. He says many years later, a group of Chinese to see Giotto's at Assisi is no more strange than a group of Italians at the Temple of Confucius at Peking. The world is one. So that was the earliest mention of that Chinese philosophy getting through to his system. After the Grand Tour, he came back to the Grange with a wife, settled at Darlinghurst in Sydney in 1910. And he furnished his apartment with, you can see the Chinese fans there. This is his kitchen, by the way. So I don't know how they cooked in it. Um, more Chinese fans. Bedroom, more Chinese fans. And textiles. So he obviously loved to collect all of these um, things that he bought from England. Dean was his first, one of the first sort of uh, imp implementations of his Chinese philosophy. This is Errol Dean. It's in Gordon, in Sydney. How many of you have been there? Just one. Um, as you can see, it's Georgian. And he designed it by, uh, for Professor E.G. Waterhouse. And you can see this is the garden study he designed in 1921. And it's already got that curved, smiling roof at the corners. He wanted it to be that way. A Georgian building with a pagoda-style, sort of Chinese-inspired roof. Waterhouse said no. And that's what happened. So it's still very Georgian. He got away with designing a Georgian dovecot, pigeon house, he called it, by adding a golden tympanum, which is that. And that's the only Chinese detail that he can put in. So there was still a bit of a quarrel between Waterhouse and Hardy Wilson. But in 1927, 
Harvey Wilson got his way. And this Chinese tea house is their only living example of the Chinese Grecian philosophy implemented in this building. The Georgian Symmetry, it's got shutters with back um, illustrations in. Um, the columns are, what are they, Greek, Doric? Um, so it is a combination of Grecian and Chinese architecture. It's a beautiful building. So please come and visit Eraldine. They dropped some leaflets to me when they found that I was going to give a talk. So uh, they think they're open this winter because it's the camellia season. So in this Chinese bee house, he put the elephants there to ward against evil and the Chinese dragons to do the same thing. I think the elephant is a symbol of, there's no Chinese elephants, are there? No, so that's Indian. So I think it's got a bit confused, but never mind. <laughs> so the elephants are shouldering the weight. So the, obviously there is a bit of a symbolism there. In 1920, he published the Cow Pasture Road. He said, well, there's nothing Chinese about that. But then you have a look at the borders and they're actually bats. So any way he could, he just inserted something Chinese. And this is very interesting because this is one of the illustrations in Cow Pasture Road. And he called it the alchemist at Time Hill. So this is very Chinese. This, this is called the, called the shoe or longevity mark. And then there's a crow with three feet. Crow, three, three feet crow, which symbolizes fruitfulness and immortality. And then there's the bat. You can locate the bat there. The phoenix there. The dragon there. The five-clawed dragon is a symbol, is the highest symbol of the emperor, I think. Um, and then there's the platypus. And then there's the stork. Don't know the symbolism of the flag. I think that's the Australian-Chinese connection. I still don't know what this means. So only Hardy Wilson would have known what he wanted to say with that. But it is very symbolic. Then this is his most well-known work, Old Colonial Architecture in New South Wales in Tasmania. He actually did start this in 1912, uh, and he roamed the, the Cal Road, drawing all of these historic buildings. He found that the Chinese circle was then a favorite form with Australian colonial builders, and it was in China centuries earlier. He wrote in his foreword, after China, when he visited it in 1921, he finished the drawings in 1922-23. And to illustrate the Chinese circle in Australian colonial architecture, 
he saw this temple. This is the Temple of Heaven in, in uh, China, and he saw that roof line, which inspired him to include this, which is the Gate Lodge at Finnward, Finnborn in Mogawa, the Soren Hill in Mogawa, Grey Stains, And you can tell that this was done after 1921, after his visit to China, because he drew the chooks. To him, the, the chickens and the birds are the symbols of wisdom of the world. I don't know why, uh, but he just thought that. And you say, Where's the Chinese influence in this? Can you look at it? It's in the pagoda style topiary. In 1937, he published Grecian and Chinese Architecture, which is a copy is here in NLA. I think the original drawings are also here. And it's worthwhile to have a look, and some of them are on exhibition downstairs. Grecian and the Grecian building, this is the most important one because it's a monument of this gratis in Athens. He drew that. And the Parthenon, he drew that. But he added this strange a phoenix, a brood of phoenixes with three. And then I'm still looking for the chicken. So he says there's a chicken, symbol of the coming of the style was parading before the family with a feeling of pride, but not yet sure of himself. I can't find a chicken anywhere. Atomic Civilization, he published in 1949. Again, with Chinese symbolism on the cover. I go back to this monument at Lysicrates because he redrew it and we reinterpreted it to this monument of atomic hope, where he put the lyrebird, the clouds, Chinese wise men, three of them. Buddha there, uh, which symbolized Catholicism, communism, clouds, the atomic cloud, which is a symbol of hope. The Chinese junk is, I've lost it, there. And the pagoda trees, they're very sweet. He also illustrated the temple of green jade clouds. Well, I only included this because of the, the, the deodars that are shaped like pagodas. Um, everything that he did, he sort of, um, he tried to sort of go and, 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 and assert 
from Chinese ideas in his drawings. Meeting of East and West, which is um, modeled after the tea house at Geraldine. Again, the deer guys are sort of have that beautiful pagoda shape. And then he put the phoenix there again, and the two roosters, and I think that's a lion, uh, a plaque. West Gate of Celestia, again modeled after the tea house, but he put a library to say that Australia and China share the same philosophy and should be one. Peace of East and West, very much tightened after the tea house, except there's that atomic cloud there, which was uh, copied after the atomic bomb exploded at the Bikini Atoll. Rather than a negative symbolism, he said it's the symbol of a hope and peace. So again, he put the two doves there, symbol of peace, Lyrebird for Australia, Phoenix for China. You will notice the orange color there, which is amazing. When the Hardy Wilson showed me the, uh, the collection, it was in a comfort chest, and there was a little case there, and it had all these charcoal pencils, and there was this very tiny orange crayon, and that's what he used to sort of go and highlight some of his drawings. They really are beautiful uh, drawings, and it's, it will be good for you to have a look at the original uh, copy of the book. I'm sure you can access it here if it's not a restricted copy, and have a look at the actual illustrations. I can never do justice. In 1950, he produced Karajong. Sit, look, see. I think that's the interpretation of the Chinese characters. I'm sure Peter Hack would be able to know. Anyone who can interpret this, I, that's, he said that's the, that's the translation of that uh, title. The Temple of Heaven, which he drew in the Grecian and Chinese architecture, was reinterpreted so many times at Karajong, in Karajong, um, the drawings. This is the, his uh, drawing of the Karajong rising mist, which is an exact copy of the Temple of Heaven. Harajong is in the foothills of the Blue Mountains, and I, we had a survey of the site, and I think we located it, it's about three kilometers square, um, and we tried to sort of pinpoint where he would be when he was doing this, uh, but we couldn't honestly say where it was. This is the Echo Temple, 
or recorded the Echo Temple, but I couldn't locate it in China, in the forbidden city where the Echo Temple was. This is, this is a temple of heaven. It's not actually called the Echo Temple. So this is also published in the Grecian and Chinese architecture. And you can see that the roof patterned after that. And this is his drawing of the Karajong Library. And you can see all the Chinese dressed, well, the, the, the people living there dressed in their Chinese blue uniforms for a library. I mean, it's such an inaccessible place. I mean, how can you go up those hundreds of steps with your library books to go up and down, up and down? Um, and there's a little, there's a man here with a cane. There's another one there with a cane. So when you look at it, it's really quite an interesting photograph. The entrance to the Forbidden City. Um, have a look at that building. And have a look at this building. Have a look at that building. And this is his interpretation of it. The Corrigion Octroi, which is actually an Italian and French thing. I think it's a tax place where you pay your tax. And this man is carrying his, accompanied by his two turkeys. Um, heaven knows what he's carrying, maybe a bag of potatoes to pay his juice. Uh, really a very strange thing. Instead of kylings and dragons, he put black swans in. Um, quite a lot of chickens, different kinds. Um, so this is a very interesting building and you can look at it and look at it and see something new all the time. But I don't really know why he included Octra in this. Uh, but it is a beautiful illustration and worthwhile looking at. The Jade, Jade Belt Bridge at the Summer Palace have a look at this, it's a beautiful bridge. And this dragon screen at the Imperial Palace. Uh, I got this from the UNESCO World Heritage uh, Commission collection. And this is his, uh, are his drawings in the Grecian and Chinese architecture, um, which he called the Summer Palace Bridge and the dragon screen. And this is interpretation at Karajong, where he put a statue of Kuan Yin uh, underneath. And you can see the scale of that because there's a fisherman there. So it is a huge, huge thing. All these odds. I'm nearly the end of that. <laughs> um, I can't. I can't put them anywhere because they don't belong anywhere, and they still baffle me. Um, this is it. Life to Earth. There's the phoenix, the pheasant, the sunflower, the lyrebird, 
turkey legs, the sun, the foxtail. I don't know the symbolism of the foxtail. I'm sorry. The yin-yang. So Stuart can figure that out. I'd be very happy to find out if you can give me the symbolism of the turkey legs and all of that. <laughs> really be good. It is a wonderful uh, illustration. It's quite huge. So, uh, is it here? It's National Library? I'm sure it is. This is another one. An airplane, Australasia, with a phoenix thing. I don't know whether it will fly and the cloud, clouds and all of that. You can see that he's actually quite flipped already, but it's, he meant very well, and he was really quite serious about the whole thing. I think if he did this now, he wouldn't be regarded as crazy, but the, during that time, he really was uh, encountered quite a lot of criticism. Sorry, I keep jumping. He doesn't want to do that. In 1954, a year before he died, he flew to Burke in a butter plane to create the town plan. This is the School of Arts in Burke, which he designed. And again, there are his beloved chickens. And again, it's Chinese inspired. And he said he borrowed these, these features from the temple of the sleeping Buddha in Peking. This house he designed for his son, Lachlan. He had one son, and he called him Lachlan after Lachlan Macquarie. I don't know whether this was built. I don't think it was ever built. I think he designed it in 1951. And he also designed furniture for, where, for the Fairfaxes um, with, with Chinese um, detail in it. And, and bits and pieces of cottages and all of that, um, which had Chinese influences, mainly on the roof. These were never built. And this is the most quirky of the lot. So he equated or he compared the Virgin Mary with Kuan Yin. And this is quite a, um, an unusual thing, but he, he did that. And I found, I discovered this, I don't know whether it's here, I think the family must have hidden it somewhere. Um, but I found it somewhere and uh, to me it's really quite a, uh, a telling illustration. I still, I don't know the symbolism of these because he repeats it. And the symbolism of the sun. Hardy Wilson won't put anything without the symbol in it. So we really need to have a Hardy Wilson expert or a Chinese symbolism expert to sort of have a look at all these drawings and and tell me what they are all about, or tell us what they are all about. This is the last 
photograph. It's by Harold Kasner. This is his son, Lachlan. Underneath the, the temple he called Jerusalem at his house, which he designed, Perulia, in 1916. I'm, I'm, I'm including this as the last photograph because Lachlan was the one who opened up the collection for me to have a look at. Uh, without him and without giving me free access to everything, I wouldn't have been able to locate all of these wonderful illustrations. That's it. Thank you.